Praise and Worship is a community of people in Branson, Missouri, who are gathering, growing, being encouraged, and sharing with others the love and hope of Jesus. Learn more online at branson.church. We said earlier that, that there's this thing that happens, right? You go on a road trip and somebody will say, are we there yet? And so we're very intentionally switching those words around to, we are there yet. And that's, that's the, those, the, the, the play on those words is to say, the scripture says something dramatic to you and to me. God is speaking through his word dramatically to you and to me today. And, that, and those words are coming to you and to me today that say something that is hard for us to believe, just like when we get distracted and things break or people betray us or they lie to us or they let us down or situations happen. You're like, why did that happen? It's like Joel was saying earlier today, he's like, why does God do some things the way he does them? And of course, I was like, oh, here are all the answers. And it doesn't work that way. None of us have the specific knowledge of why things happen. We know this because Job went to God and said, hey, now, tell me, this is ridiculous. And I love God's response. He goes, okay, mister, brace yourself like a man because I'm about to answer your question. And I, 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 we don't have video of Job, but if we did, I bet he went like this a little bit. You know, I'd be able, you know, just brace for impact kind of thing. And God says to Job, as we see in chapters 38 and following, a very long list of things, but you can summarize them to say, you don't know everything. You just don't know everything. We're not able to know it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says, we see through a glass darkly. But as we are fully known, one day we will know. Are we there yet? We are there yet. There's still some challenge. And, for, and some is not the right word. There's still challenge. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus said. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We live in this world now and not yet. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. We didn't get to see all these words when we were reading them, but today we have them. And, and, and I want you to see the tense of the verbs here. You know, this is, it, it's, 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 it's so important. You were dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following, and there the Bible does it, guys. Um, I know that every part of our culture right now wants to delete the realm of the supernatural. We're all taught that all knowledge comes from what we can test and experiment on, and we can't test and experiment on any of this, just like we can't on that philosophy. But the idea is, is this idea that the Bible keeps coming at us, proclaiming and telling us that there is a dude there is a bad guy in the story. And we, if we read carefully, we find there are many, many creatures that are associated with what the Scripture here calls the prince of the power of the air. And that's language that we have difficulty defining. But notice the course of this world follows the prince of the power of the air. He made his first appearance on page 3 of the Bible. And he came to Eve, and he said to her, did God really say? And may I just say to you, he comes to you and to me every day saying that as well. 
Did God really say? And that's what I want you to hear. That's what you and I need to hear. That's what everyone needs to hear is that, yes, he really said. And we're not going to be left in this situation any longer. We have, we're, we've been set free from this. Look at this. It, it says, the following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So the Apostle Paul, carried by the Holy Spirit, is telling you and he's telling me that we were in that situation. Left to our own devices, that's where we would be. But all of us are gathered in person and online hearing God's word right now. And it's going to be have an important step. Next verse, chapter, verse 3, he says, So we were with the sons of disobedience, being spurned by the prince of the power of the air, among whom we all once lived. Notice past tense. In the passions of our flesh. Now, a lot of people will read passions of our flesh, and, we'll, and then we'll just get to that list of sins, and they're certainly in view there. But I want you to understand it goes deeper. It goes deeper. The passions of the flesh are this, this ultimately it's this idea that you and I will find fulfillment not in God. The passions of the flesh lead us in a, in a direction of, of looking for the solutions to our problems not in God. And look at this, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And again, everybody thinks, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll or whatever, whatever your list you want to put there. But in reality, it's not God. That's the issue. The desires of the body and the mind is it's to say, actually, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. That's what sin does to you and to me, or shall I say more appropriately, did. To be sure, we still struggle with sin. As we learned last week, Paul calls us saints. The Bible calls you a saint. And everyone always says, like we said last week, oh, I'm no saint. Well, according to God, you are. And the, and the devil comes along and he says, did he really say that? You are a saint. You have the full inheritance of the kingdom of God himself. Look at this. We were by nature key word were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The Apostle Paul is saying to you and he's saying to me, he's saying to the church in Ephesus and to the church in Branson and all the other churches as he's carried by the Holy Spirit, you were. Without Jesus, you would be left like the rest of mankind. But look at what happens in verses 4 and 5. But God, a lot of people will say, God doesn't, if, if, if there really was a God, he wouldn't allow coronavirus to happen. If there really was a God, he wouldn't allow racial injustice to happen. If there really was a God, he wouldn't allow disasters to happen. If there really was a God, you see what we're making a list of. We're defining good and evil for ourselves. If there really was, then this and that and the other thing wouldn't have happened. Translation. Did God really say? Look at what God did. Well, who is he like? What is he like? He is rich in mercy. Now, you need to know that mercy means not receiving what we deserve. Remember what we said earlier? A lot of people, this came from our message last week. A lot of people say, oh, I'm no saint. But God declares you to be. He proclaims that you are because he doesn't look at you and define you by your behavior. 
He defines you by his love. He loves you. Please hear that. We work by the toil and the, and the sweat of our brow, and there's thorns and there's thistles and there's distractions. Do not miss that he loves you. And he is rich in mercy. It's, you can't quantify it. You cannot quantify his mercy. It is infinite. It is an unending, an unending mercy. And it means that it's never based on what you and I deserve. Never. And the devil's going to come right behind me and go, did he really say that? He says it to you now. And he will say it to you every single day. Because even when, look at this, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. When did he love us? When we got it all together? No. When did he love us? When we were dead in our transgressions. Hear those words and let the power of the gospel move you from death to life as he does every single day. And look at this. He made us alive together with Christ. I got my verb tenses wrong there just a moment ago. He doesn't make you alive every day. He did it a long time ago, right? In fact, if we were to rewind to chapter one of this letter to the Ephesians, we would find out when he did it, before the foundations of the world, which breaks our categories. It causes our brain to go, how does that work? And the answer is, it's like my Uncle Marty would always say, Martin Luther, he would say, when you, put, when you ponder such things, you have bumped your head against the ceiling. Go ahead and just go back about your merry way, <laughs> right? It's one of those things that listen to the word of God. He made us alive together with Christ. Alive together with Christ. Christ means Messiah, the one who was to come. When you open page one of the Bible and you start reading and you get to page five and you get to page 11 and you get to all these different things that are going on in the story, it's a fantastic story. There's a lot going on there. But from the very beginning, page three, verse 15, chapter three, verse 15, even as the, the serpent has deceived Adam and Eve, and even as they have disobeyed God, God proclaims the promise of the Messiah. He proclaims the promise of the one who was to come. He says to Eve, he says rather to the evil one, to the devil, he says to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And I'm saying that so you and I can hear it, but also so he can. Because it's like, you know, <laughs> I grew up in the 80s. You know, this is when I grew up. And so, you know, everyone's immediately like thinking of the 80s. And one of my favorite things is there was a big movement in the youth discipleship groups of the 80s so that when the devil reminds you of your past, you are supposed to remind him of his future. Right? And, and I, I, you know, it's a little corny sounding maybe these days, but it's still true. And, and this is what's going on. He's made us, that is, the Father has made us alive with Christ, it's alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So there's the next word we have to define. We always define these words. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Grace is is receiving what we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. And grace is receiving what we don't. And that is his, the ever-loving kindness of God. Look at verses 6 and 7. We are there. 
He raised us up with him. This past tense, guys. Past tense. He raised us up with Jesus and seated us with Jesus. Now let's look, let's check notes here. Let's see. What, where is Jesus right now? Now, in a moment, right here, right here, he's here. But like, where is he seated according to the story of the Bible, right? Yeah, he's at the right hand of the Father. And according to the to the Bible, Mark, are you saying? No, the Bible is saying that we are seated with him there now. And you're like, well, actually, I'm seated here, or maybe I'm in my, you know, it's like Pastor Barry said, I'm going to be doing recliner church today. He's seated in his recliner. He's not seated, you know, with, yeah, but what the Bible says, right? See, and the challenge that we have is that now we're starting to talk about things that we don't experience, right? We don't experience what this feels like. We don't necessarily, maybe, maybe some of us do. But the point being is, is, is now everybody's like, yeah, Mark, I don't know. Yeah, that Mark guy's kind of weird. Well, he is, but this is the scripture, right? And what I and my my challenge is that we would believe it. He has raised us up with him and seated him, seated us with him where? In the heavenly places. If you remember, those of you who take notes, a couple of weeks ago we introduced a word, epuranias, which is this word for heavenly places. And it's a strange word, and when they go to translate it, they don't quite know what to do. In fact, if you read different Bible translations, that phrase heavenly places will be sometimes called heavenly realms, sometimes called in the heavens. In other words, translators are kind of like, what does, <laughs> what's the best way to translate that? Answer, with Jesus. Wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. And he is here, and you are with him wherever you go because you are with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, see, this is the not yet part. We are there, yet we, it's not fully consummated. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in Kindness. Kindness. I want you to think about what that word means to you. What, I want you to like define kindness. Sometimes we feel like that's a lost thing in our culture. Do you ever feel that? I mean, am I the only one? You know, like, there just aren't a lot of kind people anymore. Of course, everybody's a little on edge these days, admittedly, for good reason. But kindness. You know, I could ask Aaron, he works with the public every day. You know, do you see a lot of kindness, you know? And, and I know he does see some, but you might see it sometimes start to wane a little bit, right? God is doing this thing where he's like, I want to just absolutely just crank up kindness as high as it will go. That's what this is all about. Kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you see yourself as seated with Christ? Do you see yourself as being raised up with Christ? Do you see yourself as being alive with Christ? Because that's how God sees you. It's why we saw last week, he calls you a saint. See, this is, when you, when you start, if you will allow this to happen, if you will allow this to happen, come on. Allow this to happen. He looks at you and he sees someone who is seated with, who is raised with, who is alive with the Messiah who reigns in heaven on high. That's what this is saying. 
And I, you know, a lot of people, they're just, you know, you just, the eyes glaze over and they're like, yeah, whatever, Mark, do the next slide. What do you, you got to do? All right, verses, chapter two, verses eight and nine. Now, this is the MLV. It's Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Those of us who grew up in the Lutheran faith tradition have seen these a time or two. Even if you didn't, I pray you've seen them a lot. But this is Mark's literal version because what I want you to do is I want you to see a couple of key phrases here, okay? First of all, God saved you. So people will often say, I got saved on this date. And I always love to say, well, actually, the Bible says you were saved before the foundation of the earth, and it was his doing, not yours. Now, we don't always understand how that works, but that's what the Bible says. And I'm kind of one of those guys. I think that's what we should go with. We should go with God's word over our own. And how did he save you? What was his methodology? By grace, remember? That's receiving what we do not deserve, right? That's his grace. How does it come to us? Through faith. Now, we have to define faith. We haven't defined that word. Faith is, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it's the evidence of things we do not see or the evidence of things unseen, depending on how you grew up reading that. And I think that that's powerful, but I often say, you've heard me say it before, I'm going to say it again. I think it's, 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 that's almost like a mystical statement. And I was like, what does that mean? And what I love to say is, let, what if we just took things on God's terms? That's what faith is. It's accepting the world on God's terms. And we always use this example because it's a very easy and poignant one. And those of you who like to fly on airplanes, and you'll every once in a while go and get on them, and then you'll fly. And most people aren't flying a lot right now because of the pandemic, but you've flown on airplanes, and you get on the airplane, you're having to have a lot of faith that this large, many thousands ton machine that flies in the air will not crash, Right? You have to have faith in the, in the mechanics. You have to have faith in the pilots. You have to have faith in the designers, the engineers, all these people that they did their job right. We have to believe it. And, and the, of course, the, the faith, the, at some point, you take it on somebody's terms that it's going to work. The question is, is, will you get on the airplane of this trip, right? Accepting life on God's terms. We're talking about how um, you know, it's, we're not, it's not a lot of fun to have to wear masks when you come to church or to do social distancing or all of the things that are associated with that. But when we do all of that, we always say, well, we're doing this out of love for our neighbor, which means we're believing, we're taking this on God's terms, not our own. I would probably make a whole different set of protocols, but Jesus says, love your neighbor. In other words, do what they want you to do. Do what they want you to do, and this is what we do. Now, this faith, how did you get it? What does the Bible say? Where did it come from? Oh, look at there. You had nothing to do with it. The Greek words are actually this. It did not come out of you. That's, it's a literal, just wooden literal. It did not come out of you. And that's my rendering is you had nothing to do with it. We baptized baby Jessica um, on Saturday. Jessica is not old enough to understand any of this. And a lot of people will say to me, Mark, that ain't right. You can't baptize someone who doesn't have the ability to believe for her own. And I'm like, let's check notes. Let's see here. Did, she, did Jessica need to have anything? <laughs> no. See, and this is the thing, is that, is that if we're really going to believe God's word, we have to accept what it says. You can look in any translation. It will say, it is not from you. It is not from you. It's not from Jessica. Jessica was brought into God's family this way, through a gift. 
through his word. It's a mystery. We don't understand it, and yet we, he, we take it on his terms, right? And look at this. It's God's gift, not by works, which means our efforts, our function, or whatever we do. Why? Because this way, no one can boast. No one can boast. And yet, Humans are good at boasting. Have you, have you ever noticed? I'm, you know, talk to me, I will boast. It's just a matter of time. And so we're going to, you know, I like what Paul says in another one of his letters. I will boast in nothing but Christ and in him crucified. Take a look at verse 10. Now, what's really powerful here is, you know, it says, for we are his, and you'll see different words there um, of what we, we, his creation his workmanship, it's whatever. Um, I, w- when I do a word study on this, this word, the Greek word that's there, it's, it, it's the second definition in the lexicon is poetry, someone who writes poetry. I think that's beautiful. I'm like, oh, that just sounds exactly like what we see all throughout the Bible. God created you like poetry. <laughs> it's, it's, you are his masterpiece. We've seen the potter and the clay. We've seen this idea that out of, you know, he formed you in your mother's womb. We see all these scriptures, and now we see this. You are his masterpiece. You. That's why he calls you a saint. That's why he gives you the gift of faith. You are his masterpiece. And what is, what is your masterpiece? What, what, what for? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. A lot of Christians have trouble with the word with the phrase good works because we're like, does that mean I have to do good things? Of course it does. Love your neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's it. That's it. But when you start to try to do those things, you find they're very difficult, which is why Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And a little bit later, after he rose from the dead, he said, and I will be with you until the very end of the age. He's wanting you to know that you are not in this alone. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Crazy idea. That we would believe, take things on his terms, that we are actually seated with Christ right now in the Epuranias, in the heavenly realms, that we are, and that we have been created as masterpieces to participate with him in the restoration of all things. What would happen if a 100 people believed that? What would happen if a 100 people cried out to the Lord that, they, that he would help them do just that? that we would walk in them. Notice that indicates a lifelong journey. This is not about, we always tell the joke, it's not about going down to Branson Landing and helping as many little old ladies across the street as you can. That's not what these good works are. Now, if they need that, that's fine. You find out if there's a ministry there, we'll go do it. But the point is, is we look for where Jesus is working and we join him. And it's gonna be hard work. It's gonna be difficult. But we're gonna take it on his terms we're going to put our trust in him. Are we there yet? Everybody's like, everybody's asking that for the sermon, right? And the good news is we're pulling into our destination. We are there. And yet, please pray with me. Father, we ask you boldly to help us believe that we are there, but also to have strength in the yet. And I pray boldly that we would hear your words as they prepare us for what comes next week. 
that your plan is to create one new humanity. Because we've all been given, all of us who are hearing these words have been given the gift of faith. And we have been set on a path of doing good works. To walk in them. To love one another as you have loved us. Give us this power by your Holy Spirit who lives and reigns with you, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. 